You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. The sea at night is like a dream, with barely a trace of a horizon between the night sky and the dark waters, your ship sails upon a void. Sometimes the moonlight glistens off the swell, chasing flying spectres under the keel. There's quiet, but for the spray of the sea as the ship cuts through it, and the creek of her bones. Most nights it's peaceful. The unknown vessel sat within the stillness and quiet of the night like a sleeping giant. It rocked gently with the ebb and flow of open water, unmoored and unmoving. Our vessel, the Strider, closed in slowly, hailing her as she did so. The other ship's sails were furled and her deck was empty. No sign of life at all. The captain observed the situation carefully, as was his habit, and we waited while he surveyed every inch of what was slowly revealed by the creeping mist. After a few moments, he called me to his side. He pointed out how she was sitting low in the water, indicating that her hold was still full of whatever cargo they were transporting. But as the jolly boat was gone, the crew had abandoned her before reaching their destination. There was no visible damage to the vessel that would suggest that she was taking on water. By all accounts, she seemed perfectly seaworthy. There was no indication of a reason for them to abandon her. I considered this for a moment. Could it be plague, sir? The captain did not break his gaze at the unknown vessel as he sized up my suggestion. If there was disease present, it would make the task of towing her back to port much more complicated. After a short silence, he simply stated, It's possible... The ship was closer now. A few of the crew shrank back, startled by its lifelessness. But we'll need to be sure, he added, finally breaking his stare and moving it to me. Take a handful of stout men who won't scare. Make sure they're masked at all times, no exceptions. And I want a detailed report of everything aboard, as well as any information you can gather as to her final hours as best as you can manage. Understood? I had been first mate under Captain Thomas for four years. He had always been a grim man, but this evening, his bearing was as grim as I had ever known it. He was concerned, not only for the well-being of the men on the other ship, but for us, who he would be sending over. He knew it was a dangerous task, and that there was no telling what peril could be waiting for us. 
I responded with a resolute, Isa. The whaleboat cut gently, almost reverently, across the divide between the two ships, as if afraid it would wake it. The four men I had brought with me, Murphy, Dolan, Scully and Stone, were all strong, obedient and stoic, so there was little chatter. Even so, there was a growing sense of unease as we got closer. On the breeze, there was a strange whistling sound that seemed to waver in and out of my hearing. When we reached her, I was first on my feet and led the men aboard. My heart thumped as I got close to the top of the ladder. I had seen a town besieged by disease before when we visited the Spanish Isles, so I knew the horrors that potentially awaited us over the top. As I cleared over the side of the ship, I found... nothing. No bodies strewn across the deck. No poor wretch breathing hard. Nothing. In fact, the deck seemed neat and orderly. The other men piled over and were just as surprised as I at what we found. Some thought to remove their face coverings, but... I instructed them to keep them on until we had finished a complete scan of the vessel and we could rule out any sign of disease. The deck may have been clear, but we could still meet any eventuality below. I left Dolan and Stone to take stock of everything up here, while myself and the others lit lamps and started investigating the crew's berths below. Death has a scent. A death that has occurred through disease can sometimes bring its own distinctive odour. Yet as I stepped down into the murk below deck, I found no trace of it. There were no sounds other than the groan of the timbers and the lapping of water against the sides. None of the beds were occupied. The galley was empty aside from some slowly rotting food. I did note that the dairy goat was dead likely from starvation. They must have been gone for a while. Oddly, the rats had left it alone. In fact, as I thought of it, there didn't seem to be any rats aboard, as if they had abandoned the ship with the crew. I left Scully to keep searching for any evidence of the crew's fate, and brought Murphy below to the cargo hold. I shone my lamp down into the absolute dark, straining to see anything. The captain was right. Every last piece of their cargo was still there, and there was a lot of it. It was a merchant ship after all, but we were hundreds of miles off course from any known trade route. So how did they find themselves out here? The captain's orders were to take stock of all of it, So I turned to Murphy and instructed him to start at the aft and work his way up, and I would start forward and work my way back, and we would meet in the middle. He nodded gruffly and made his way back. The dark down here was nearly impenetrable. I could see nothing ahead of me. 
and as I stepped, I had to angle my lamp to the floor so as not to run into one of the many crates and boxes that surrounded me. Something shifted ahead. Thinking I had finally stumbled upon a rat, I raised my lamp and stepped forward, only to be met with a figure up ahead. It turned its face to me sharply, and I could see it was a man, with icy white skin and jet black hair. The figure then turned away quickly and hurried towards the front of the ship as if trying to evade me. Regaining my composure, I chased after him, calling for him to stop. I maneuvered around the crates and boxes and held my light out before me to find him. I kept going and going until I reached the bow. There was no one there. I stood bewildered before the timbers. A dead end with no escape route. He could not have passed by me without my notice. He had simply vanished. A chill crept up my spine and I shivered. Through the wood, I could hear that uncanny whistling, echoing clearly, stronger now than it had been. It didn't sound like whistling anymore. From behind me, Murphy called out to make sure I was alright, as he had heard me shouting. Still shaken by what I had seen, I said nothing except that I was unharmed. We were interrupted by Scully descending the stairs. Sir, the men on deck, they found something they think you should see. I gratefully followed him up. When Dolan and Stone's search on the deck brought them to the captain's quarters, they'd found it locked. Stone managed to pick the lock, and when they opened the door, they discovered the first inhabitant of the ship we'd been able to find. Here was that scent of death. The captain sat at his table in an early stage of decomposition. Before him were papers maps and books that were laid out in an orderly fashion. Nothing seemed out of place. Troublingly, he was shackled to the table, unable to move from his seat. Much like the dairy goat, he had most likely died of starvation. I scanned the room and saw that the keys to his bonds were on a shelf not far from where he sat but they were just out of reach. They restrained him and then abandoned him here? Stone asked. He must have been a cruel one to warrant such a harsh mutiny. I didn't respond. To me, this raised even more questions, and I wasn't as quick to jump to the conclusion as Stone. Though being a crewman, he must have a different opinion on captains than I. I searched through the papers on the table and picked up a red, leather-bound book. By the light of my lamp, I began to read. Ship's Log, an account of the voyages of the merchant vessel Circe of Plymouth. I skipped ahead to the most recent entries. Wednesday, April 14th, 1847. Storm swept us off course. Navigator predicts it is a drastic deviation. 
ship now caught in the doldrums. Misty weather won't clear. Despite having plenty of reserves, I have already begun issuing rations. Continued. Woken from sleep by a terrible sound. A wailing, mournful cry. Watch cannot find where it's coming from. I've never heard such a woeful sound. Thursday, April 15th, 1847. The sound did not cease throughout the night and continues this morning. Crew are troubled. Most are either frightened or depressed by it. Search for the source continues. Saturday, April 17th, 1847. That terrible sound. It is relentless and oppressive. I no longer find it pitiable as much as I do malicious. A crewman could no longer stand it. He wrapped a rope around himself and tied it to a barrel, then threw himself overboard. Sank fast. No rescue possible. I fear the rest of the crew may follow his actions unless we have a scrap of wind soon or the sound ceases. I understand the temptation. Death would be a blessed respite from that terrible cry. Monday, April 19th, 1847. More crew dead by their own hands. Only a handful left. One man deafened himself with a cook's knife. This morning, the watch found a break in the mist and believed they saw land somewhere ahead. It may be where the sound is coming from. Superstition now rampant among the crew. Most believe this to be the work of a siren, wishing to crash us on the rocks ahead or drive us mad. They think they are hidden by the mist and that the doldrums are all that is saving us. But I know they are wrong. This is no siren's song. This is a banshee. A terrible harbinger of death. And we've been blown off the map to its lair. There's no way out. Tuesday, April 20th, 1847. Had to stop another man from diving overboard. Boson has concocted a plan. He wishes to rally the men we have left, take them to whatever that land is out there, seek out this creature and put an end to it. The men are motivated, and they have my permission to do so. I will stay with the ship. I've ordered the men to furl all sails until they get back, in case the wind returns and the Circe is blown away from them. But I also fear that being alone here with nothing but that maddening sound will make me take action like those other men. So I have requested that they bind me to my desk and lock me in my cabin so I cannot damage myself. They can release me upon their return. If this log is found, it will mean that they have been unsuccessful, and I will be dead. If you are reading this, if you are able... Sail away as swiftly as you can. 
the cry of the Banshee brings death. By the time you hear it, it will already be too late. Death will be among you. The ship shuddered, making all the fixtures of the cabin vibrate and jolting me out of the log's pages. The air was thicker around us now. Something felt wrong. Mr. Lowry, come quick, Stone cried from the doorway. I ran to him, and through the darkness, I saw Dolan, standing on the railing of the main deck, wrapped in a spare coil of heavy mooring line. He was staring out to sea, entranced by something. Stone and I hurried to him. My initial alarm at Mr. Dolan's situation almost rendered me oblivious to it, but now that we were out in the open air once more, I heard the whistle on the wind again. Only now it wasn't a whistle. It was a full-throated voice. A ghoulish wail full of sorrow and malice. Every bit as terrible as the captain proclaimed. Dolan heard it too, I could tell. He was oblivious to the rest of us. He didn't even turn as Stone rushed across the deck to him, yelling his name as he ran. If he had another second, he may have reached him in time. Instead, his hands only clutched at the mooring rope as Dolan jumped. Stone's tangled hand followed. The two men crashed into the water and were dragged down by the weight of the hawser. Neither of them surfaced. I screamed out for them and removed my jacket ready to jump in, but froze and fell back as I looked out at the cold water. Up ahead, there was a figure wreathed in black. She stood, statuesque and immovable, as if she had been carved out of obsidian and bone. The mist surrounded her in such a way that I still don't know whether she was standing on some hidden island or directly on top of the open water. At first I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me, spurred on by the captain's frenzied account but her mouth and chest moved in time with the horrible cries surrounding us. I was face to face with it. The Banshee. Forcing myself to tear my eyes away from the horrible figure, I sprinted to the hatch and yelled down to Murphy and Scully, imploring them to hurry above. Startled by my urgency, they both appeared quickly, with expressions of confusion and worry etched on their faces. Without stopping to explain myself, I ordered them to keep their ears covered and get back to the whaleboat. The two larger men hurried back as quickly as they could, with their hands clasped firmly over their ears. Scully was the first down the side, and Murphy made his way shortly after, once Scully was settled. I stood desperate for them both to finish their descents, But when Murphy was only halfway down, I saw something shift out of the corner of my eye. The Circe's captain was standing beside me, his hands still bound together even as a spirit. 
His skin was as wasted as it was in the cabin. His eyes were a solid white, and he reached out ahead of him, blindly searching for where the voice was coming from. I screamed, lost my footing, and fell backwards off of the deck. I crashed into Murphy as I fell and sent him toppling from the ladder. I was engulfed by the cold abyss of the water that drowned out the sound of the banshee's wails. That alone was enough of a temptation to stay there. Even through the dark, I thought I could see Dolan and Stone sinking up ahead. But this was merely a fantasy. They would be fathoms deep by now. A hand appeared above me. Wrestling away the desire to stay rid of the Banshee's call, I reached out and grabbed it, then felt Scully's strong hands pull me up. I gasped as I surfaced and climbed aboard the boat. Scully was the only other man aboard. Where's Murphy? I asked. Scully pointed to a patch of blood on the rim of the boat. When he fell, he hit his head there. It cracked his skull, and he slipped straight under the water. I knew then who I had seen sinking. Go, I ordered. Row before she takes us all! We rowed the little boat back to the strider, keeping a hand clasped over one of our ears as we did. The crew found us shaking, ashen and terrified. The captain demanded to know what had happened and where the rest of the men were. None of them had seen nor heard anything, except when I had fallen. Through trembling lips, I begged him to get us away from here before her cries reached us, and she stole the wind from our sails too. Captain Thomas was confused, but after so many years together, I had earned his trust enough that he could see the urgency in my face, and he acquiesced in exchange for a complete debrief once we were far enough away for my satisfaction. We turned about and sailed away from that cursed place. As we left, I glanced back at the Circe and could have sworn I saw a statuesque and heavily shadowed figure standing triumphantly on the deck. This story was written and read by Andrew Bate, with music also by Andrew Bate. Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com.